to Nehemiah chapter 12. Nehemiah chapter 12. And I'm going to do everything in my power, led by the Spirit of God, <laughs> to finish the book of Nehemiah tonight. So I will do my best, but if the Spirit of the Lord says otherwise, then we'll just yield to the Spirit of God. But I think it's so amazing how we are now at the end of the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah has worked for 11 chapters to build a wall, and it is now built. And it wasn't so much about building the wall as it was what was going to take place inside the walls, which was the Word of God. He was building the walls now around Jerusalem to protect the city of Jerusalem, the nation of Israel, the temple of God, for the Word of God to be exposed. Ezra the priest comes on the scene, he expounds on the Word of God, he gives the sense of the Word of God, he gives the understanding of the Word of God. Now the Word of God is being placed in the center of attention, it's, it's given the priority, it's given the preeminence, right, the Word of God, and, and something happens here now. Now they promise and they vow in chapter 10 that they would live after God, that they would obey the Lord, right? And now in chapter 12 and chapter 13, Nehemiah dedicates the wall to the Lord. And, I, and it's so important because if you're serving in ministry or, or, or maybe you're thinking about it, maybe you're growing up in the church or whatever it would be, it's important that we dedicate now. What we have in our hands, dedicated over to God. And that we do not neglect the house of God. How did it end in chapter 10 and in chapter 11? That they vowed, they promised, we will not neglect the house of God. How many of us are neglecting the house of God? Neglecting the things of God. Neglecting the things of God in our life. Neglecting prayer. Neglecting the Word of God. Neglecting fellowship. Neglecting commitment, right? They said we will not neglect the house of God. We will not forsake the house of God. And some of them needed to move into Jerusalem. Some willingly offered themselves. They said we volunteer to move into Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem had very little. It was very poor at the time. And they didn't want to live in a place where it was very poor, very inconvenient. Where it cost them now commitment. So some of the leaders said, you know what, we willingly offer ourselves to live inside of Jerusalem. Some of the Jewish nation were living inside of Jerusalem. Others were living outside of Jerusalem. But now Nehemiah makes a commitment with the people not to neglect the house of God. You see, it's important that we make those commitments not to neglect the house of God. Because sometimes all we do and we use this as an excuse is we're going to pray. But after you pray, you also have to take action. After you pray, you also have to set boundaries so you do not neglect the things of God. You know why, you don't, why sometimes we neglect the things of God? Because we never take action when it comes to the things of God. You know why sometimes we neglect the things of God, the house of God, the Word of God, the prayer that comes spending time with God? It's because we don't have the discipline, the boundaries that we need in our lives. But now in verse chapter 12, we're going to see a list of those that moved into Jerusalem. But not only a list of those that moved into Jerusalem, also what they did and how they moved into Jerusalem. Who led the way? Who led the way? Nehemiah chapter 12. Now these are the priests and the Levites that came up with Zerubbabel, which was the governor, the son of Sheatile, and Jeshua, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that today it would speak to us loud and clear. We pray, Lord, that we will not neglect the things of God. We will not neglect the house of God. But that we would dedicate it over to you, Lord. And it starts with our hearts. It starts with our lives, God. When we willingly offer ourselves to move in into your presence. We don't want to live outside of your presence. We want to live inside of your presence. We want to live inside of your will, God. And I pray today that you would teach us what that means. In Jesus' name we pray and together we said, Amen. Do you know what the, the goal was here in this chapter 12 and 13? Is that the people would live inside the presence of God. Is that the people would end up in the will of God. I don't care what you're doing, but if you're not ending up in the will of God, then, then whatever you're doing is wrong. 
The goal is that we would live in the will of God, in the presence of God. Now it says in chapter 12 that the priest and the Levites came up with Zerubbabel, the governor, to move in to Jerusalem. Notice that it says the Levites and it says the priests. Now the Levites were those that were ushered or they were appointed to lead now in worship. They were the Levites. It was like the worship ministry. It was those that were to sing the songs and the praises and the priests were those that are to give and expound the Word of God. But those were the people that were leading the way, the household servants of the temple of God. How many household servants of the temple of God are here today? I think that there are a few of us here that are the household servants of the temple of God. You are a household servant of the temple of God. But the Levites and the priests came in and, and it's, it gives us a list. And now in verse 7, let's, let's go ahead and read in verse 7 now as we go, because we want to really pull out what's important in these two chapters. It says, These are, were the heads of the priest and their brethren in the days of Jeshua. These were who? The heads. These were the leaders. Heads means leaders. Moreover, verse 8, the Levites were Jeshua, Ben-Nuel, Kedemel, uh, and Sh uh, here it says, Sherebiah, Judah, and Methaniah, who led with thanksgiving psalms, he and his brethren. Notice, how do they lead? How is it that we ought to lead? If you want to lead at church, if you want to lead at home, if you want to lead even in your own life, how is it that you lead? What does it say how they led? They led here with thanksgiving psalms. You see, it's the heart of gratitude. It's the heart of worship. It's that heart that leads us into the presence of God, into the will of God. They led with thanksgiving and psalms. You know why they led with an attitude of gratitude? You know why they led with an attitude of, of, of a psalmist, of a worshiper? Because they were joyful of being in Jerusalem. They didn't take it for granted. They didn't think they were doing anyone a favor. They, didn't, they, didn't, they were committed to the Jerusalem and to the presence of God, so they led it with psalms and thanksgiving. Why? They were happy to serve where God placed them. They were satisfied in the will of God. That's why they were there with thanksgiving psalms. How are we leading today is the question. Are we leading with thanksgiving psalms today? Are you leading with the right attitude? Or are we leading with the wrong attitude? Because Thanksgiving Psalms talks about the attitude of the heart. That's how you ought to lead. With Thanksgiving Psalms now, leading the people. You know what Thanksgiving Psalms, they, they are grateful to be there. Are you grateful for the position of ministry that God's given you? Do you count it a privilege? Or is it a duty to you? Do you think that you're, it's an obligation to you? Because they came in, they understood what a privilege it was to leave these people. Thanksgiving Psalms, right? And it gives us a list of the people that were leading and those that they were a part of it. But I want to jump down now to verse 27 because it tells us what kind of Thanksgiving Psalms they're doing. What kind of Thanksgiving Psalms are they singing as they're going to dedicate the wall? So we go to verse here 24 and it says, In the heads of the Levites were Hashabiah, Jerobiah, and Jeshua the son of Kadamiel, with their brothers across them to praise and give thanks. Now what are they doing? They're giving praise and they're giving thanks. Here it says, Group alternating with group according to the command of David the man of God. Now one group is alternating, giving thanks and praise. Another group is alternating, giving th thanks and praise. Methaniah, Bukiah, Abdaniah, Meshulam, Talam, Akubov were gatekeepers keeping the watch at the storerooms of the gates. Now it talks about others that were keeping watch, that were leaders, that were taking care of the house of God as they were moving in to dedicate the walls. These lived in the day of Je uh, Jehoiakim, the son of Jeshua, the son of uh, Zodak, in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest, the scribe. Now, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, but with thanksgiving, singing with cymbals and string instruments and harps. 
Now verse 27, what does it tell us that they're about to do? That they're coming to dedicate. They're coming to consecrate. They're coming to give it to the Lord. What, what does the word dedication mean? I love it when we have baby dedications or child dedications. Here the people of the nation of Israel, they're dedicating now the wall to the Lord. Because they're putting it under the control of God. They're putting it under God's protection now, this wall. They're separating it for God's use, this wall. They understood, unless the Lord keeps this wall, this, all this work is in vain. You see, unless you give it to the Lord, unless the Lord blesses it, unless the Lord protects it, unless the Lord is in the midst of it, unless it honors God, then all the work that we're doing is in vain. We can be doing so much work, but unless it's dedicated over to God, it's all in vain. That's why it's important that we dedicate it over to God. And you know where the dedication begins? It begins in the place of your heart. When your heart is dedicated. Have you ever seen someone that's not dedicated? Someone that, that really does not care? Have you seen someone that is dedicated? The effort they put, the sacrifice they put, the long hours they put because they're dedicated, they're separated, they're focused, they're disciplined, and they're giving themselves over. Now they're dedicating this wall. All the sacrifice, all the effort, all the discipline, they're dedicating it over, they're separating over to God. I think today it's important that not only do we separate and dedicate that wall, but that you're dedicated over to, to God. It's, it's, it's amazing when you see someone be dedicated at the altar, right? And it's a little baby, a little child, right? But what happens after when they grow up, they have a decision whether they will remain dedicated to the Lord. Today you have to make that decision. Are you dedicated to God? Think about how that, what that word means. And, don't, and be careful that you don't change the, the meaning to that, of what it means to be dedicated to God. Because when you're comfortable, when you feel obligated, that's no longer dedication. That's you just going through the motions. Dedication means consistency. Dedication means consecration. Dedication means holiness. Dedication means commitment. It means sacrifice. And we're going to see that here in chapter 12 and 13, that they were dedicating. Not only were they dedicating, but how did they dedicate? It said that they dedicated as they came in, and when they were going to do it, that they sought out the Levites in all their places. They were looking for those that were willing to lead in the worship. Because worship was going to usher them into this dedication. They wanted to seek out for all the Levites and they wanted to seek out those that God had appointed for God's use, those that God had ordained back in the Old Testament, right? That they would lead the way and they were seeking out. And I want you to underline this in verse 27 in your Bible. They sought out the Levites in all their places. It's important that we seek out from among us the Levites, those that are going to serve in the temple of God. They sought out the Levites, those that were going to now lead the way in the celebration, those that had that occupation, right? And what did, how did they lead those Levites? To bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singing. Now the very powerful word right here is with gladness. You knew that it wasn't an obligation because it says with gladness. They were looking at someone to do it with gladness. There is nothing more refreshing than to know that we have Levites in the church that are serving with gladness. Because not only are they coming with an attitude of thanksgiving, not only are they coming with an attitude here of psalms and of singing, but it says that they were leading with gladness. They were leading with joy. It started with gladness that poured over into thanksgiving and to singing and using their instruments, right? They had a gladness for what they did. They had a pride, they had a dedication. They held it in high esteem. You see, they might have not had much, but what they did have is the relationship with the Lord, which was what mattered most. I think sometimes we get upset, we get discouraged about all the wrong things. And that's why we can't praise God with gladness. Because we start to think about how come we don't have all of this other resources or material or people or, re or, 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 or you know, connections or whatever it would be. And you can't lead or sing or worship or serve with gladness now you think. They had very little here but they still chose to serve 
with gladness. They had little, but they learned to lead with joy. It's so beautiful when you see the simple-hearted people with that heart of worship of a servant. That they had little, but they learned to lead with joy. What happens when you have little? Do you still, do you still have joy? See, these people had little, but they were learning to choose joy and to stay focused. Isn't it amazing that you can choose joy? You're always going to, to forfeit the privilege of joy every time you, you, you put your eyes on circumstances versus your eyes on Christ. I'll give you an example. You come to serve God and you start to look at circumstances and then you lose your joy, right? But when you have your eyes on Christ, you can continue to choose joy because you're coming with gladness, with thanksgiving and with psalms. And it's not about the circumstance. It's about your Savior. It's about Christ. I love what Alan Redpath says when he says, Joy is not dependent on outward circumstances, but on inward choices. Joy is not dependent on outward circumstances, but on inward choices. You know what's going to make you lose your joy? The outward circumstances. When you look at that, you will forfeit your joy. But they came to lead with joy. Nobody wants to follow a leader who is mad or always tired. We are inspired by leaders who lead with joy. And I was talking to that pastor that I just mentioned earlier. Uh, he told me, Art, when was the last time you smiled while you were preaching and teaching God's Word? Nobody wants to see you there just with, a, with a, just a frown and a serious face. Smile once in a while to the people. And what a reminder it was to me. Because people want to be led with joy. They don't want to be led by obligation. They want to be led with joy. And I tell you, people can tell when you're leading by obligation, when you're leading without dedication, because your communication starts to fail, your character starts to fail, your commitment starts to fail, your sacrifice starts to fail. Why? Because of the core issue of the dedication at the heart is absent. It's gone. And therefore, when you show up to lead as a Levi, there is no joy any longer. In Proverbs 20, 17, verse 22, it says this, A merry heart does good like medicine. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. What would happen if we led with a merry heart? It's like medicine. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Isn't that interesting? Now, as we continue reading here, in verse 28, it says, And the sons and the, of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of the uh, Netophites, from the house of Gilgal, and from the fields of Geba, and Asmameth, from the singers that had built themselves village all around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates and the walls. Now, before they're going to celebrate, what do they need? Before they dedicate, what do they need? It's, it's important that we read verse 30 because here's, there's a lesson here. They purified who? Themselves. They're not going to go in and dedicate the wall. They're not going to have this dedication service. They're not going to put their hands and get involved until verse 30 first takes place. The priest and the Levites. Now, who would be the priest and the Levites? Those that serve. The priests and the Levites purified themselves. Now, purification is needed if you're going to serve God. Amen. Holiness is needed if you're going to serve God. Holiness, not compromise. You must be sanctified to serve. Purified means to be sanctified. You must be sanctified to serve. You know why they did this first? Because they couldn't effectively leave the people in worship of God if they didn't walk in the purity of God. You can't lead people in the worship of God if you're not walking in the purity of God. So they first had to purify themselves. What does the Bible tell us in John 4, 24? Yeah, that without holiness, you cannot worship God in spirit and in truth. How is it that we want to lead worship, lead ministry, lead servants without holiness? We can't do it. That's not, that's not worship of spirit and truth. Now these Levites and these priests understood this. If I'm going to serve God, I'm going to serve God with holiness. I'm going to serve Him the right way. And it says this, that in verse 30, that they purify themselves. They purified 
now the people. You can't lead someone to a holy place if you don't know that holy place. You can't. In Psalms 24, verse 2 and 3, the psalmist tells us, Who may ascend in your holy hill? Who can go into that holy place? Or who may stand in the holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. God is looking at our hands and God is looking at our hearts as we serve Him. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor has sworn deceitfulness. What is God looking for at His church? He's looking for purification. What is the process of purification if you want to serve the Lord in the right way? What is our process of purification today? If we want to talk about purification today, how would it look like? Purification today looks like confessing before God. That's how it starts. It's amazing to know the promises of God in 1 John 1, 9 where it says that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what purification means. To come to God in repentance, in confession, for purification. The people in verse 30, they came to purify themselves first, purify the people, and to purify the gates and the wall. Purification is needed. Why is purification needed? Because holiness is your first ministry. A lot of times you hear that, you know, well, my home is my first ministry. Well, this other thing is my first ministry. No, that, that's not. I don't know where in the Bible you got that. Because when I read the Bible, Romans 12, 1, it says, Therefore I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of Christ, that you offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Your first ministry, the Bible says, is holiness. That's what it is. And it's time for us to, that, that we would see holiness as our highest pursuit in life, not happiness. Because the church is looking for happiness when it should be looking for holiness. What are you looking for today? Are you looking more for happiness or are you looking for holiness? Our highest pursuit should be holiness. And, we're, and today, instead of choosing holiness, the church sometimes is chasing happiness. I just want to be happy. I want to feel happy. Well, your feelings are going to get you in trouble. God's commanded you to be holy. And the, the way we do that is coming before Him in repentance. Coming before Him in repentance. You want to be happy? <laughs> you know what the first step of a happy countenance then is? The first step to the happy countenance has been said before is a clean heart. You want the happy countenance that the Lord fills you with joy? Then it starts with a clean heart. Because holiness is your first ministry. Today we should choose purification. Holiness. Because that's how integrity begins in our lives. Especially if we're going to serve God. We have to choose integrity over choosing an image. You know, it's interesting to know that because we live in such a world where it's so now corrupted and it's led by an image that's so fake that people rather protect an image than they rather protect integrity. Be careful that you protect, you're looking to protect an image before you're looking to protect integrity. Because God's Word tells us, and here we see in verse 30, that we ought to protect integrity, that we ought to protect character so that we don't choose compromise. When you're not protecting integrity, you're going to eventually compromise. And integrity means that you're being faithful to God behind the scenes where nobody's looking. That's what integrity means, is being faithful behind the scenes. I love that what we talked about even for the men's breakfast this last week when the pastor shared and he said, you know what, if, if you want to be a pillar in the church, men, and it, it includes women as well. If you want to be pillars in the church, then you need to be people of integrity. You want to be a pillar in the church, then you need to be a person of integrity. You, know what, you want to know what a pillar is? A pillar is that which holds up the house. And a lot of us want to hold up the house, but we don't want to have integrity. What happens to a pillar that's holding something up that doesn't have integrity? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a liability for the entire house. And the house will crumble because the pillars, so to speak, are lacking the integrity. They're lacking wholesomeness. They're weak pillars. And that's what happens. When you have weak pillars, the house cannot stand strong. Are you a strong pillar filled with integrity? Is, is the inside of that pillar filled with integrity? 
You know, purification is important. Levites, serving as a Levite is important. Serving as a priest is important. Serving at the church is important. You know what it means when you're serving? Is that you're held at a higher standard. If you want to serve the Lord, then understand you're held to a higher standard. And in order for us to lead people in a godly manner, if you want to lead people in a godly manner, you must live a godly life. You can't lead people in a godly manner if you're not living a godly life. That's why they had to purify themselves. Because if you want to lead people in a godly manner, you must be living a godly life. Now it tells us here the names of those that went in. And we go now, as we're reading here, the scripture in Nehemiah chapter 12, that from verse 32 to verse all the way to 40, it talks about the names of those that were going in, the names of the families, the way they were going in, right? And it talks about one Thanksgiving choir, and in verse 40, it gives us a second Thanksgiving choir. There were two choirs, and they were called Thanksgiving choirs. It's amazing when you title a choir a Thanksgiving choir, <laughs> because that was the attitude that they have. It was a Thanksgiving attitude, that they were privileged to be serving at the house of God. That they were thankful that they got the opportunity to serve in the house of God. And in verse 40, it tells us this. So the two Thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God. Likewise, I and half of the rulers with me. And the, and the priest, Eliakim, Manasseh, Benjamin, Micaiah, Eloniah, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets. Now, you have other musicians here. You have other worship leaders that are serving here. Also, Messiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzai, Jehonanan, uh, Melchizedek, Eliam, Eliezer. The singers sang loudly with, with Jeriah, the director. What does it tell us that the singers were singing loudly? It's amazing where you see the churches sing loudly. You know why the church sings loudly here? Because the Levites and the priests and the worship leaders were anointed. Sometimes we expect the people to sing loudly in worship. But here the people were, here, what does it say? That the worship leaders were anointed. And they started to sing loudly with who? With the director. With the worship leader. They were singing loudly. They were filling the place in the house of God as they were standing. It says that they stood in the house of God. They were standing in worship. I love when we stand in worship and the people start to just sing loudly and raise their hands. That's what we did in worship. We, we, we just want people to stand the whole time. So encourage them to sing and sing loudly with the worship leader or with the director. But think about this. It was all done with order. It started with the, these Levites and priests being purified and being holy. And what did it have? It had a strong element of thanksgiving. It had a strong element of thanksgiving. Because worship, if it's going to be genuine, there's going to be some thanksgiving involved. The worst thing to have is an ungrateful worship leader. The worst thing to have is un an ungrateful worship team. An ungrateful ministry servants. These people led with thanksgiving. They were grateful about what God was doing. They had a heart for the place. You can't lead people in a place where you have no heart there. That's why it's important to have a heart for the place. A heart for the ministry. Because then it will show, number one, you're dedicated. And I want you to, I want to keep saying that word because I want that to stick in your heart really closely that it would be engraved in the tablets of your heart. Are you dedicated to the Lord? Dedicated, because when you're dedicated to the Lord, you're automatically going to be dedicated to the things of the Lord. Know that when you're dedicated to the Lord, you will be dedicated to the things of the Lord. Now in verse 42, it's, uh, 43, it says, Also the day, that day they offered great sacrifices they went and they offered, not sacrifices, great sacrifices. People that are dedicated come to offer great sacrifices. Look what it says. And rejoice, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. And the woman and the children also rejoiced, so that joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. What did they do in verse 43? They went and they offered great sacrifices with joy. And, and I, want you, I want you to know this. It was great sacrifices with joy. It was not great sacrifices with obligation. 
Have you ever offered God a sacrifice? And here I am offering God my sacrifice, my ministry. But it's all with obligation. No, they offered great sacrifices with joy. They couldn't wait to offer the sacrifice to God. They couldn't wait to put this before the Lord. It was done with joy. That's why I think that when we come and offer a sacrifice to God or even an offering to God, man, when's the last time you say, I cannot wait to offer this over to God, to give this over to God. I'm doing this with so much joy. It's filling my heart with joy. I don't feel obligated to give the Lord my tithing or my offering as these people would do. Can we have that attitude? Or to give the Lord my time? Or to give the Lord my resources? I don't feel like it's a drag. I feel like it's a joy. You, think, you see how they're coming in here? Not only did they have joy, it said that they rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women, the children, they also rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. What was happening here, guys? The joy was also contagious. When you come to serve the Lord and you have joy, guess what? You're filled with joy and you're not filled with obligation. The joy is contagious. It was the, the leaders. It was the women. It was the children. They were filled with joy. It says, so the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. Was it the songs of Jerusalem that were heard afar off? Was it the, 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 the teachings of Jerusalem that were heard afar off? No, it was the joy of Jerusalem that was heard afar off. Why? Because his joy was birthed from God. It says here that the Lord made them rejoice. God had made them rejoice. When you're dedicated to God, He makes you rejoice. The Lord just makes me rejoice so where I can come and I can offer a great sacrifice with joy. He is making me rejoice. I can have very little, but what matters most is my relationship with the Lord. And because of that, I have joy. In Psalms 125 verse 5, it says, Those who sow in tears shall reap here joy. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Had these people not suffered in tears? And they had a very little, but they were reaping joy. They were reaping joy. Today, God wants you to reap that joy. Now in verse 44, it says, And at the same time, some, uh, those that were appointed over the rooms of the storehouses of the offerings, and the first fruits and the tithes, to gather them into the fields of the city, uh, the portion specified by the law of the priests and the Levites, for Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. Now they appointed people to receive the offerings and people were giving because they rejoiced over those that were leading them. They rejoiced over their leaders. They rejoiced over those who ministered. They had a heart that was grateful for those that were ministering to them. Guess what they were doing then? They were giving. And it says they were giving, they were bringing, they were rejoicing over the Levites who ministered. Both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of God and the charge of the purification according to the commandment of David and Solomon's son. From the days of David and Asherah the old, there were chiefs of singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. Do you notice how many times it uses the word thanksgiving here? The people had a heart of thanksgiving, so God not only touched their heart, God also touched their pocket and they were willing to give now here because they appreciated those who were being ministered. They wanted to take care of the house of God. Look what it says here as the Lord was touching their hearts. From the day of David and Asherah, oath, the chiefs and the singers and the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. Verse 47, In the day of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave. You see, this is amazing. This is a heart that is dedicated, a heart of worship, a heart of thanksgiving. They gave the portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. A portion for each day. They started to provide for the needs of the church. They came and they gave. It says they also consecrated. Not only were they giving, but they were consecrated. They were doing things right. Consecrated holy things for the Levites. And the Levites consecrated them for, children, for the children of Aaron. Who were the children of Aaron? They were priests. The Levites here were those that were to carry the worship and the, the Ark of the Covenant, right? And now what they were doing here is that they were consecrating, they were purifying what they were using for ministry. And it started with purifying now lives, right? Purifying lives, consecrating 
separating holy things, setting apart the holy things, they weren't treating them as if something, as if it was common. It's a danger when we start to treat the ministry as if it's something common. The, the, the commitment, as if it's a common commitment, as if it's a light commitment, these people took it seriously. And they were yielding to God. They were surrendering everything to God, but they were also taking everything from God. It's, it's important that we understand that as well. That we are to surrender everything to God, but also take everything from God. Sometimes you want to say, oh Lord, well, I'll surrender this to you, but I don't want to take everything, anything in return that you want to give me. The commitment that you want to give me, the consecration that you want to give me, the calling that you want to give me, I don't want to take it all. Lord, here I surrender this, but I don't want to take it all. Yes, today we must surrender all and also take it all from God. Because they're yielding now. And you see in chapter 13 that Nehemiah is a leader that has convictions. That's convictions. He's not watered down. He's not trying to please people. He's courageous. He's unwavering when it comes to his loyalty to God. He'd rather be loyal to God before he's loyal to people. He didn't want to please people. He wanted to please God. Because Nehemiah, here it says that he takes a break from Jerusalem and he goes back to the palace that we first saw him in chapter 1. He goes back there. He takes a leave. Of, he goes back there and something happens at Jerusalem. And we see that taking place here because he was a man of convictions. He faced on now head-on confrontation. You know when there's one thing that, that people really dislike today is confrontation. Oh, we just hate confrontation. We hate talking about confrontation. We see in our, our, our you can't say anything that will offend anyone now in today's culture and world, right? But Nehemiah said, I don't care if I offend anyone. In fact, I'm going to come and clean up house. Because Nehemiah understood that God is not concerned with crowds. God is concerned with channels. Channels that are pure and channels that are holy. God's not concerned with crowds, people. God's concerned with channels that are pure and that are holy, that are clean, that are dedicated to God. Look, at, look what happens here in verse 1 of chapter 13. And on that day they read from the book of Moses. When they came and they celebrated, then they op opened the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God. In it was written that you should not mix... You shouldn't allow those that have not made a commitment to mix in or to come into the assembly or the house of God. Do not allow those people saying, you must be separated. You must be holy. God always designed His people to be separated and to be holy. Today, we try to say, look world, we are just not that much different than you. I just we want to let you know. <laughs> it used to be that there was a day where, we, where the church, where God's people were called to be different. Now we're just trying to say, we look just like you. We act just like you. We talk just like you. We live just like you. We just call ourselves Christians. What kind of a weak t testimony and witness is that? Look what it says here. It, it says, they were, the book of the law says that they should not come into the assembly of God. They are to not come into that holy place if they're not fully committed. Was God against these people? No, He was against the fact that they didn't want to commit to Him. And it says here that the reason why. Because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. Do you remember when they came out of Egypt, right? And they, they passed through these people, the Ammonite and the Moabite. And they said, you know what? Can you please give us water and bread? And they said, no way. We don't know who you are. We're not going to give you water and bread. And they tried to curse now the people of the nation of Israel as they were in the wilderness. But God turned that curse in the wilderness into a blessing. Do you know that God can turn a curse in the wilderness into a blessing? He did it for them. He can do it for you. He did it for them and He can do it for you. So you know that, that He is your source. That He is your sustainer. What did the Bible tell us? What is the promise that God gave to the, people, the nation of Israel? That He's going to bless those who bless Israel. He's going to curse those who curse Israel. These people cursed them. So now, what does the Lord say? Now, I'm going to curse them. I, I, want, I want them to be expelled from the house in the assembly of God. They cannot be now mixed with the assembly of God. Right? In verse 3 it says, So that it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. They separated the mixed multitude. 
What's a mixed multitude? Is those that wanted to associate themselves. Those that wanted to associate themselves. It says here, but not count the cost fully. Not fully count the cost. Right? They wanted to be affiliated with unbelievers. They wanted to, 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 to be there and, and be with the believers and, and be with the crowd, but they didn't fully want to commit. I want to tell you, where do you stand today? Do you stand mixed? Do you stand neutral where you don't want to commit fully? Where you don't fully want to be there? When you don't fully want to demonstrate your commitment? Now, I said, you know what? Those that, are, that have a neutral decision, that those that, that haven't fully committed, you know what? You need to exclude them. So they excluded the mixed multitude, right? And what does he do now from verse 4? Now, before this, Eliashib, the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. So now he went. He left Nehemiah. And here he sees that the priest that he left in charge accepted Tobiah. Who was Tobiah? Tobiah was a man that opposed the work of God, right? And this priest started to accept Tobiah. And what happens when he started to accept Tobiah here? He allowed Tobiah to come, a man that represented the work of the flesh, a man that tried to stop the work of the flesh, a man that wanted to come against the work of the flesh, right? What did he do here? He accepted him in, it says, who was allied with Tobiah. Why do we let Tobiah or the flesh, the works of the flesh, the work that opposes the work of the spirit, why do, I, why do we allow Tobiah to come in? Why do we allow, make room for him in the storehouses of the house of God? It says here, And he prepared for him a large room where he had previously had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense and the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which, the commanded to, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the gatekeepers, and the offerings for the priests. There was rooms designed now for offerings. There was rooms designed for offerings. And you know what happened here? They took all that out and they said, let's make room for Tobiah. There's space. Your life is designed as an offering for God. But sometimes we try to take the commitment out. We try to take the holiness out. We try to take uh, the purification out and say, we want to make a room for Tobiah. That which is against the work of God. That cannot happen. And the reason sometimes when we're not filled with the Holy Spirit is because we're filled with something else. When you're filled with something else with the works of the flesh, you're not going to be filled with the works of the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. But during this all, I was not in Jerusalem for this 32nd year of Xerxes, kings of Babylon. I had returned to the king, and after certain days, I obtained a leave from the king. This is the second leave of absence that he does because he saw that they were lacking leadership. When you lack leadership, you start to allow just anything in your life. And this priest lacked leadership. Nehemiah hear about the, hears about this. He rises to the occasion and says, I'm not going to allow that in the house of God. This man that was opposing the work of God, you think we're going to allow this? Absolutely not. He takes another leave of absence and he returns to Jerusalem. And it says, And I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. You know what happens? Oh, Lord, let, let, the, let, let me let the enemy come into my house. Let me let the enemy come and fill my heart. Let me prepare a place for him in the, where, where it should have been a place for God, but let me make now the enemy, the works of the flesh, comfortable in my house. You know what Nehemiah does? Verse 8, look what he does. This is amazing here. Because Eliashib had no accountability. He lacked leadership, so he started to compromise. And when he started to compromise, this is exactly what Nehemiah does. He shows up on the scene, and this is what he does. This is a real test of revival. You see revival in 10 years down the line. Is there still revival happening? Because here he left for a time and revival wasn't happening. And it grieved me bitterly. Verse 8. What grieved him bitterly it says? Therefore I threw out all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. You think he was apologetic? You think he had to ask for permission? No, he didn't. He came in he said, I'm going to throw that out. Get that out of here. He went in, he started to grab Tobiah's furniture, Tobiah's clothes, and he throws it out of the house of God. Because Tobiah was one that oppressed, and Tobiah was one that opposed the work of God. Can we do that? Can we go in and today, and if there's anything that needs to be thrown out, that we would throw it out if it doesn't belong there? 
Can, can we be those that say, you know what, Lord, I, I know that that doesn't belong there, so I'm going to go and I'm going to throw that out. Because it does not belong in the house of God. Nehemiah goes in there. He doesn't ask for permission. He doesn't apologize. He's not concerned about offending Tobiah. He says, Tobiah, get your things, and he throws them out himself. Are we letting any Tobias in our life today? Anything in our life that shouldn't be there? Anything that's crowding the space that's intended for the Holy Spirit, right? And you know why he was, he was, he was, he was throwing it out? Because he was making more room for the presence of God, for the work of God, for the ministry of God. When you make more room in your heart and in your life for the Lord, the Holy Spirit will fill it. When you make more room for the Spirit of God in your life, for the work of God in your life, when you make more room for it, the Holy Spirit will fill it. The Holy Spirit cannot fill your life it's already, if it's already filled with something else. If you make more room, you open up your schedule, you open up your heart, you open up your hands, open up your resources, the Holy Spirit will fill it. Now, here it continues on and it tells us this. Verse 9, that I commanded them to cleanse the room, clean that room out. And I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with grain, with offerings, and with frankincense. What does, he, what does he do here? He brings back, he reestablishes. What is the purpose of those rooms? For the work of God. What is the purpose of your life? To be dedicated for the work of God. Do not make room. Do not prepare a place. Do not welcome something that's going to give you the appetite of, of what's going to oppose and oppress the work of God. Whether if it's a person or a thing, throw it out, get rid of it. And here he cleanses the house of God. Right? Because he got mad. What did we learn this last week? What really gets you mad? I think sometimes we get mad at, we have a, 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 a bit, very big problem about getting mad at all the wrong things. Have you ever got mad about the right things? This, I mean, he's getting mad, and it, there's, there's this righteous anger. He says, get that out of the house of God. And he went and he threw it out. He threw it out, right? He wasn't concerned. Leadership is not about popularity. It's about an example of holiness. If you're, you're concerned more about being popular and being purified before God, then there's a problem. There's a problem here. Verse 10, it says, I also realized. What does he realize here? That the portions of the Levites had not been given to them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to the field. People were not giving at the church. So the Levites and the priests had to go and start working again. They couldn't be fully dedicated, these Levites and priests, to the work of God. Because they had to work to support themselves. Because people weren't giving. And it says, so I contended with the rulers and said... That word contended means I confronted. I confronted with the leaders here against this conduct. Why is the house of God forsaken? Why can't the house of God's needs be met? Why is it that the Levites and the priests are out there in the fields collecting food to survive, and you guys are not bringing that food into the house of God so they can be fully dedicated for the service of God? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. It's time for us to be in our place. Then all of Judah brought the tithe, the grain, and the new wine, and the oil to the storehouses. What did he do? People started to bring in now tithings. So the Levites can dedicate themselves fully to the service and the ministry of God. In verse 13, after they had lacked and forsaken the house of God, and now it was reestablished, verse 13, and I appointed as treasurers, over the storehouses. Look who he appointed. Treasures. You want to be appointed? You want to grow in your capacity of serving the Lord? Shelemiah, the priest, Zadok, the scribe of the Levite, Pediah, and the next of him was Hanan, the son of Zechur, the son of Methaniah, for they were considered faithful, and their task was to distribute to their brethren. Why? Because they were considered faithful. Because they were considered faithful faithful. You want to be appointed? You're not appointed because you're good. You're appointed because you're faithful. Because what good is it if you're gifted but you're not faithful? There is no good to it. Right? They came here. These people were giving. They were generous. 
Why were they generous here? Because a grateful Christian has a generous, or is also a generous Christian. A grateful Christian is a generous Christian. They started to bring in the tithings and the oils and the, the wine and all that to fill the storehouses of the house of God. But they now call these men that were faithful to be able to distribute. Men that were trustworthy. Are you trustworthy for, to be appointed? You know, faithfulness is important because it speaks about your reputation. And, and your reputation is important because it's your testimony. You know what testimony means? It, 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 this is, it's simple, and I want you to know this, te what testimony means. Testimony is how you represent and how you reflect God in public. That's your testimony. Sometimes we overthink testimony. Testimony is how you represent and how you reflect God in public. That is your testimony. How's your, well, how does your testimony look today? How are you representing God in public? Do you have a good testimony or a bad testimony? A bad representation of God? You want to be used by God? Then you have to have a good testimony. You have to be faithful to be appointed. Sometimes we appoint and then we require faithfulness. That, that's backwards. We appoint because there's a need and then after we require faithfulness. No, you look at faithfulness and then you appoint because that's the person that has the heart. We're going to go ahead and pause there and let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord. And I ask right now by the power of your spirit, Lord, that you would lead and that you would guide. I thank you, Lord, for in this book here, Nehemiah, you're teaching us what it means to be dedicated. You're teaching us what it means to be faithful. And I pray, Lord, that we would be so concerned about holiness, that we be so concerned about what it means to serve you, Lord, that we do not allow a Tobiah representation into our lives. That we wouldn't stop giving and providing for the needs of your house, God, that the ministry would continue. That we would not forsake or neglect the house of God. Teach us what it means to be a grateful Christian because that's a generous Christian. And I pray, Lord, that we would be known for our faithfulness because that's what allows us to be appointed for greater service. Teach us what it means to be faithful. Teach us what it means to have a good testimony and how we represent you in public. Thank you, Lord, for what you're teaching us through this book. I pray this all in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.